Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and each week we bring you a classic show from radio's golden age. As we continue to celebrate the mystery and horror genre in honor of Halloween, we have another obscure series. Many old radio buffs may not have heard of Murder at Midnight. It was syndicated briefly from 1946 to 1947 and heard on WTZ New York. The narrator, Raymond Morgan, was a Long Island minister who gave up the cloth for a career in radio. The scripts are surprisingly good, and they use prominent New York stage actors, so I think this will be a treat for our listeners. And the heavy-handed organ music will get you in the mood for Halloween. Enjoy Murder at Midnight, The Dead Hand, first broadcast September 16, 1946, on WTZ New York. Here. Wait, nothing. I said you were nuts. Crazy. And... No. No, don't. I'm sorry, Hook. Very sorry. But I had to have it. I'm going to have it. And once you're dead, you'll never miss it. Midnight. The witching hour when the night is darkest. Our fears the strongest. And our strength... At its lowest ebb, midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in The Dead Hand. by one of radio's best-known mystery writers, Robert Newman. Its title, The Dead Hand. The small studio cottage on Dr. Martin Trent's estate, seated at the piano, alone in the gathering darkness, is Roger Blaine, famous pianist, and playing as only he can play. Can't you hear me, Lorna? You must hear me. You must come here. Now, to me, 
I'm calling you, Lorna. Calling to you in a way you could never resist. With my music. Making your heart beat faster. Your breath come quicker. Lorna. Hello, Roger. Am I disturbing you? Always, Lorna. Just as I disturb you. As we disturbed each other since the first time we met. Martin's out at the hospital and I heard you playing, so... That's not why you came, Lorna. You came because I called you. Because you promised you'd come and give me your answer. What we talked about last night, my going away with you. R- Roger, I-, I must have been mad. I-, I don't know what got into me. Don't you, Lorna? This is what got into you. My music. Telling you things I never could tell you in words. Roger, stop. I, I can't think when you play like that. I-, I can't leave him. He's my husband. I love him. Respect him. Can you love a surgical instrument? Can you compare what you feel towards him with what you feel to... Now, this minute. No. No, it is different. Roger, how can we? He's your friend. It was he that brought you here, gave you the cottage. And haven't I given him anything? Music like this. Music such as no one has ever heard before. Roger, I... Lorna, listen to me. To what I'm saying here. I love you. I need you. It was you who helped me find depths within myself I never knew existed. You've got no. to come away with me. You owe it to me, to yourself, to the world. Roger, you please. Want you know you want to. And you're going to. Roger, no, I, I, going I can't. To. I tell you, you I... Are. You are. All right. We can talk to Martin when he gets home tonight. Tell him. I, I think he'll No, Lorna, there'll be no talking, no explaining. My car's outside and we're leaving right now. The music, my music, was still with me as we drove out through the gates, down the highway, pulsing, throbbing. Yes, I could hear it, but could Lorna? I glanced at her sitting there beside me. Happy, dearest? What? I don't know, Roger. You don't know? Don't you realize what this means, Lorna? I'm playing better than I ever played before, and this is only the beginning. After my New York concert, South America, then Europe... Roger, are you sure you love me? Me, as a person? My sure... Oh, what do you mean, Lorna? I know you've said you do, but whenever you've talked about it, Roger, about us, you've talked in terms of your music. Roger, are you sure that's not what you love? Of course I'm sure. If I didn't have my music, if I couldn't play, I don't think I could live. But I it know. was you. You who lifted me to heights I never dreamed of, technically, emotionally. Roger, stop the car. Turn around. Take me back. What? Take me back. I don't understand. I do, for the first time. With Martin away so much, I was lonely, flattered by your attention. And your music was like a drug, keeping me from thinking. But now I can think. And I know you don't love me, and I don't love you, so please, Roger, take me back. No. But, Roger, can't you see? This whole thing was a mistake. It was not a mistake. I won't take you back. Well, I'm going back, whether you take me or not, and if you won't stop the car... No, no, let go of that brake. Let go of that brake. Let go of that brake. We're going to... When I opened my eyes, I was in a bare white room in a hospital. 
Standing next to the bed, Lorna and Martin. Hello, Roger. How are you feeling? Well, I... I don't know. What happened? You were out driving with Lorna. The car got out of control and you had a smash-up. They rushed you here to the hospital and... Well, you've been here for two days. Smash-up? Yes, I remember. Are you all right, Lorna? Yes, Roger. I was shaken up. Come on. Especially the fingers. Nothing happened to it, did it, Martin? I, I've got a concert in a few weeks, you know. Roger, it's... don't stop it. What? what? Why are you looking at me like that? Oh, I... Don't worry about it, Roger. Not now. Well, I've got to know. I've got to see... Roger, please! What did you do to me? Roger, I think you know how I feel about you, about your music. You've got to believe me when I tell you there was nothing I could do about it. Nothing. It was your hand or your life. My life? And what is my life without my music? Nothing. Worse than nothing. A living death. Why didn't you let me die? Don't say that, Roger. We'll do anything we can. There must be something. Something. There's just one thing. You've got to get me another hand. We will, Roger. There have been some wonderful developments in prosthetics as a result of the war. I don't mean an artificial hand. I mean a real hand. What? Roger, you're mad. No, no, I'm not. You took my hand and you'll get me another one. We'll talk about it some other time. You think I'll forget about it, don't you? Don't you? Oh, I, I won't. I say I'm going to have another hand and I will have one. And what's more, you're going to help me get it, you hear? You're going to help me. I was able to get up and around a few days later. I didn't talk to anyone if I could help it. Because somehow I couldn't ever look at their faces, only their hands. Big hands and little ones, long-fingered ones and stubby ones. Yes... They each had two hands, and I, I to whom my piano meant more than life, had only one. Then, sitting alone one evening, I met Hawk. I looked up, and there he was, a small, slight, sharp-featured man. Hello. Nice evening. Yes, I suppose it is. Hey, you mind if I sit down for a couple of minutes? No. I uh, wouldn't usually bust in on anybody except... Well, I'm getting out of here tomorrow, and I feel pretty good about it. Oh? What was wrong with you? A uh, bad heart. I'm going to have to take it easy from now on. It's going to make it kind of tough in some ways, but... Uh, you don't happen to have a cigarette on you, do you? No. Mm. Well, yes, I do have. It's, uh, there. Well, at least I did have. Silver cigarette case. Can't seem Is, uh... Fine. This it? What? Oh, yeah. Where did you find it? In your pocket. You, you mean you you took it? Uh, my name's Harris, Joe Harris. You usually call me the hook. Uh, oh. This is my racket. Or you rather, it was until I... You're a pickpocket. <laughs> well, one of the best in the business. But now with my ticket going bad, I guess I'll have to lay off, except like now for a gag. <laughs> you didn't mind, did you? <laughs> mind? 
Certainly not. I'm, I'm very impressed. As a matter of fact, do you mind if I look at your hands? Look at them? What for? Beautiful. As beautiful a pair of hands as I've ever seen. It occurs to me that you... You say that you don't know what you're going to do when you leave the hospital here. Well, I just hadn't thought about it much. Why? I've got a proposition that might... It just might possibly interest you. No kidding. Why? Well, I'd rather not discuss it with you here and now, but I expect to be leaving here myself on Friday. If you'd like to come and see me sometime after You that, say where and when. Well, I've been staying at a little cottage on Dr. Martin Trent's estate. I'll probably be going back there. How about uh, Saturday night? Late, around 11.30. Fine. Okay with me. Then it's a date. I left him there, hurried back to my room. I wanted to be alone. Had to be alone, for I was afraid that what was on my mind might show in my face. It certainly was a date. A date with death. A man obsessed, half mad, and his unsuspecting victim... Will both of them still be alive to hear it when the clock strikes 12 for murder at midnight? Roger Blaine to continue Murder at Midnight. I did leave the hospital on Friday, went back to the little studio cottage. By Saturday night, my arrangements were completed. They weren't very complicated. I made it clear to Lorna and Martin that I wanted to be alone, and I picked up a length of iron pipe. The pipe I hid inside the piano when I heard footsteps coming down the path. There was a knock on the door. Come in. Hi. Uh, not too late, am I? No, you're not too late. Hey, pretty nice place you got here. Yes, it is quite nice. Sit down. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Now, what's this here proposition you want to talk to me about? It's a very simple one. How would you like to make $10,000? <laughs> what do I have to do? You don't have to do anything. Just <laughs> sell me something. Your left hand. What? Hey, <laughs> you're nuts. No, I'm serious. I've got the money right here in cash. I, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't understand. Look, I'm a musician. I'm a pianist, or I was until I lost my hand. If I can't go on playing, then life doesn't mean anything to me—my own life or anyone else's. But you, how important is your hand to you now? An artificial one will do almost as well. And you can live for quite a while on $10,000. You mean you really thought I'd sell you my hand? Let you cut it off? I'm getting out of here. Look, wait. Wait, nothing. I said you was nuts, but I didn't really think... What are you going to do with that? No. No, don't. You can't. Some way, somehow I'll get you with this. 
I swear. I'm sorry, Hook. Very sorry. But I have to have it. I'd rather not go into what happened after that. I I got rid of the body. And then I went to see Martin. You don't look well, Roger. Anything the matter? No, I just came to see you about your promise. My promise? Oh, your debt, whichever you choose to call it. I told you I wanted another hand, that I was going to get another hand, and that you were going to help me. Well, now you can help me. What? What do you mean? Look in here, in this package. See? Good, Good Lord. Where, where did you get this? It might be better if you didn't ask too many questions. I'm fighting for my life, for more than my life. You took my hand away from me. Well, now you can give me this one. You mean you honestly, seriously think that I can perform an operation of this sort, do a graft, and that after I'm finished, you'll be able to use the hand? Why not? Operations of this sort have been done, haven't they? With other parts of the body? The eye? The cornea, not the eye. And some nerve grafting has been done. But this... Look, Roger. I know what a shock this whole thing has been to you. Know it better than you. You're, you're not a well man. <laughs> a well man? I'm only half alive. And I'd rather be dead than go on living this way. But if I do die, I won't die alone. That's why I brought this along. Roger. A gun. Quick, easy, painless. If you won't do what I want, you die. And so does Lorna. Both of you, along with me. You, you don't give me very much choice. No. All right. You in. Get me to the hospital. Even before I became fully conscious, before I opened my eyes, I knew, knew that it had been done, that it wasn't his hand anymore, but mine. And still, there was something wrong. I couldn't analyze what it was at first, but it was there, a feeling that something wasn't quite right, that perhaps it wasn't entirely my hand. I sat up. The hand was a mass of bandages, stiffened with splints. And inside the bandages... Careful, Roger. Don't touch them. Huh? Oh, Martin, I didn't see you. I've been here with you ever since last night. Last night? You mean I, I've been out that long, 24 hours? It was very important that you keep quiet. You've been under sedation. Oh, oh yes, of course. This isn't the hospital. No, I brought you home with me, back to the house. Oh. I thought it would be best for several reasons. Oh, that's very smart, Martin. We don't want any questions, do we? Not yet. You did do it, didn't you? What? Uh, oh, uh, oh, yes. I knew you would and could. And it's going to work. It is working. I can feel it. Please, Roger. You must be careful with that bandage. You can't touch it, move it, disturb it in any way. I won't, Martin. But I don't have to. I tell you, I can feel the fingers moving, even inside this. And in another week or so... We'll see. Yes. We'll see. Got a cigarette, Martin? Of course, I have it right. <laughs> That's funny. Hmm? What is? Well, my cigarette case. It was right here in my breast pocket. I, I must have left it downstairs with the hospital. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I can do it. Without, 
Martin. Yes? I... I think... Here... This... Here... Here it is. Under my pillow. What? How did it get there? I don't know. It must have fallen out when you bent over. But... No. Why are you looking like that? Because... I think I know how it did get under my pillow. What do you mean? When fingers learn something, special skill, they don't forget it, ever. Mine never have. Even when I'm not thinking of what I'm doing, they go on playing by themselves. These fingers here, they haven't forgotten either. You understand? I'm afraid I... I'm awfully tired all of a sudden, Martin. Would you mind? No, Roger, I'd like you to get as much rest as possible. There's a friend of mine coming here tomorrow to see you. Another doctor. That's fine, Martin. I'll see you in the morning. Yes, I was tired, but that wasn't why I asked Martin to go. Is it because I wanted to be alone? Because I had to be alone. Because I knew now what it was that I'd only sensed before. The hand. Hook's hand. Had a will of its own. It had picked Martin's pocket without my even being aware of it. I lay there alone in the darkness after Martin went, not touching the bandages, but flexing the fingers, forcing them to obey my will. I had to do that. I knew I had to do it because I suspected what might happen. And what did happen proved that I was right. I fell asleep finally. And while I was asleep, I dreamed. I dreamed I was walking down a dark, labyrinthine corridor somewhere under the earth. Then... A little closer, Roger. Huh? Just a little closer. Who's there? Who's there? Just me. Waiting for you. Hook! Yeah, Hook. I said it get you. Well... Out of the darkness came a hand that clutched me by the throat, gripped it tighter, tighter, tighter. I fought against it. Tried to scream and woke up. Yes, I woke up. And my waking was more horrible than the dream, for my hand was there, gripping me by the throat, moaning, exerting every ounce of my strength and will. I fought it off and pulled down. I lay there, bathed in a cold sweat, staring at it. Feeling the fingers quivering inside the bandages. My hand or his, I was tied to it now. Tied to a thing that was seeking to destroy me. Shaking convulsively, I leaped out of bed. I ran out into the hall and down the stairs to the living room. The piano. That was the one thing that might save me, save my reason. Seating myself at the piano, I started to play. Using only my right hand at first. But I tried to force left hand. His hand join in. Then suddenly... No, Roger. That won't work. No music. Stop it. Stop it. Do you hear it? It's my hand now. It's mine. No, Roger. Never. But it is. I'm stronger than you are. Nothing is stronger than I am. Nothing in the world. And there's no escape. Because we're one now, Roger. And wherever you go, I'll be there too. It's not true. It's not... What are you doing? Just a little closer to the desk, Roger. A little closer. That paper knife. 
can't. But I can, Roger. I told you I'd get you somehow, some way. Put it down. Drop it. You can't fight against me, Roger. I told you. I'm too strong. Martin! Water! Quick! Where is he, Martin? The living room. I heard the piano and... Good, good Lord. Roger! He's dead. Why? How? He was saying something about a hand. He was in a completely psychotic state as a result of shock and a sense of guilt. The state psychiatrist was coming tomorrow to commit him. Oh, Martin. That hand he brought me wanted me to graft on. I, I don't know where he got it. But I suspect that was behind the whole thing. Behind it? Yes. Well, what do you mean? You don't really think I did graft it on, do you? Why? He was desperate, and I had to do something to quiet him. I splinted his left wrist, wrapped it in bandages, and told him not to touch them. But, Martin, that paper knife in his chest. Which hand is holding it? His right one, his good one. Yes. And still, in a way... It's possible that the dead hand, the one he was so concerned about, did guide it. Her eyes wide with awful comprehension, Lorna stares at her husband, then down at Roger Blaine's body as, somewhere in the silent house, a clock starts chiming for murder. At midnight. Remember to be with us again when death stretches out his bony hat. And the clocks strike twelve for murder at midnight. With music by Charles Paul, Murder at Midnight is directed by Anton M. Leader. the Old Time Radio Hour broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. You can subscribe at no charge through iTunes, Podbean, or RSS. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and next we have a horror story from Murder at Midnight that was probably the first time listeners in the 1940s ever heard of Kabbalah. Since then, the system of mystic Judaism called Kabbalah has been demystified by many celebrity followers who made it a fad much like astrology was in the 1970s. This is a fun and frightening script from Murder at Midnight called The Kabbalah, syndicated in 1946. <laughs> 
Which way did he go? That way. Down through the garden. The storm. It's so dark you can't see. Dr. Rudd. There. There at the bottom of the terrace. Professor Labarge. Labarge, why I... Oh, good Lord. What is it? He, he must have fallen down the steps, broken his neck. He... He's dead. Midnight, the witching hour when the night is darkest, our fears the strongest, and our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in The Kabbalah. Mystery and Terror by Radio's Masters of the Macabre. Our story by Robert Newman is The Kabbalah. A rambling house on the outskirts of a small university town. And in the house, a room that seems more like the cell of a medieval alchemist than the study of a college professor... Its walls lined with ancient volumes and astrolabes and other curious instruments. Bent over his desk, Dr. Rudd does not hear the knock on the door at first. But when it's repeated, he says, Come in. Alan's going, Father. He wanted to say goodnight to you. Oh, yes, Adam. Good night. I was terribly sorry to hear about the decision of the Board of Trustees, sir. I mean, they're refusing to give you a grant to go on with your research. Oh, that. Well, it doesn't matter. I've about decided to give up the whole project anyway. Your book? Yes. Father, you're not serious. I I thought you were almost finished with it. I am. All but the last chapter. I just can't seem to write that without additional research. And without the last chapter, the rest of the book is meaningless. Well, isn't there anyone you could talk to about it, sir? Anyone who could help you? I doubt it, Alan. I think I know as much about the occult as anyone in the world. Except perhaps one man. Who was that, Father? The man I studied under at the University of Paris. And I haven't heard from him in over ten years. I'm not even sure that he's still alive. (laughs) Too bad this is the 20th century, not the 12th. How so, Dr. Rudd? Oh, it would have been very simple then. A pentacle, a pair of corpse candles, and I could summon up someone who would make things very easy for me. Yes, right now I really believe I would sell my soul for the help I need. Father, you mustn't say things like that, even as a Jew. Well, you're right, Barbara. And no one knows it better than I. Well, good night, Alan. See you in the morning. Right, Dr. Rudd. Good night. I'll walk you down to the road, Alan. Oh, fine, dear. Pretty depressed, isn't he? Father? Yes. 
Not that I blame him. Four years' work. The definitive book on occultism, the supernatural. <gasps> Alan! Yes, I see it too. Someone or something lying in the road. Come on. An, an old man, and he's dressed so strangely. He looks like an Arab. wonder what he's doing around here. Anyway, he seems in a bad way. Here, I'll carry him into the house. You run ahead and tell your father. All right. In here, Adam, in my study. All right. They put him on the couch. What's wrong with him? Well, it's hard to say, but I think it's just exhaustion. Oh. Oh, his pulse is very weak. Barbara, call Dr. Stevens. Of course, Father. I... He's opening his eyes. Where... What is this place? No, it's all right. You're among friends. We're sending for a doctor. A doctor? Ah, you're kind, but it's too late. Allah stretches his hand out for me. Nonsense. All you need is some food, rest. No, and... no, I, I'm dying. But if you are indeed friends, one last request. Will you grant it? If we possibly can. I am a arch, a Sufi. I come of a long, ancient line. Will you see that I get proper burial? Oh, yes, of course. I have no gold, <laughs> money, but... <laughs> He's fainting. Loose this road, Alan. Right. Mm. Say, you've got something hidden here. A parchment scroll. Oh, come on. You've taken the cover. It's all right. No, no, you must not. It's a curse. Into the fire. Destroy it. If you use it. Father. Yes. Yes, he's dead. May his soul rest in peace. Yes, Alan. Partly. And partly about this. this. This parchment he had hidden in his room. It seems to be a form of the Kabbalah. That's right. That's what he called it when he got so excited. Wanted you to destroy it. But the Kabbalah is just the science of letters and numbers, isn't it? Mm, it's much more than that, Barbara. It's the science of the mystical attributes of letters and numbers. The basis for almost all occultism. This system is different from any I ever saw before. Different? How? Well, this particular system tells how a question can be written out, the letters changed into numbers and manipulated. When the numbers are changed back into letters, they will answer the question. Listen, Professor, what do you say we try it? Try it? Sure. Of course, it's a lot of nonsense, but, well, why not? Oh, all right. There's paper and pencils on my desk. What are you going to ask, Father? Oh, something simple, something we can check. Me? I'm going to ask something really practical. Okay, Professor, let's go. 
finished. Now, let's see. Zadek, Mem, Vav. Great Scott. What is it? Look at this. Here's my question. Will we have any visitors today? Uh-huh. And here's the answer. Two visitors. Professor Laborde and someone else. Professor Laborde? Do you remember my telling you yesterday that there was one person in the world who could give me the help I needed to finish my book? Yes. That man was Professor Laborde. Father, you you don't really believe it, do you? I don't know. Well, I uh, told you I haven't seen or heard from him in ten years. But just hmm. the same... Dr. Rudd, look. Hmm? Look here, I got something too. What is it, Alan? Well, here's my question. How can the professor get the money to continue with his research? Yes. Here's the answer. Call Mark Endicott. What? Of course. Why don't you, Father? He's always been interested in you and your work. Well, I just never thought of it. I'll go in and call him right away. Well, Father, did you get him? Yes. Yes, it's... it's very strange. In what way? He said that he'd been thinking about me a good deal lately, and he's driving out here this evening to see me. There. That's the answer to your question. Two visitors, Professor Laborde and, and someone else. Well, he must be the someone else. You think so? Oh, of course. Somehow, I don't. Well, what do you mean, sir? I don't know. Except that... I don't like it. Hmm. It's beginning to look as if our Kabbalah's a washout after all. What makes you say that? Well, 11 o'clock and no sign of either Laborde or Endicott. I can't understand it. Endicott definitely said that he was driving out here and that he was leaving immediately. He probably changed his mind because of the storm. It's still pretty bad out, isn't it? Yes, but it's not like him. You think he'd phone us and let us know? Oh, perhaps that's he now. Hello? Yes? This is Professor Rudd speaking. Who? Oh, yes. What? That's impossible. I spoke to him only a few hours ago, and... Why, oh, I, I can't believe it. You're sure? Oh, I see. But thank you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Who was it, Father? That was Mark Endicott's attorney. His attorney? What did he want? Mark Endicott was killed at about six o'clock this afternoon. Killed? On his way here, an auto accident. His attorney called to tell me Endicott had left me a $5,000 bequest for research. What? Father, the Kabbalah. It said you were to call him for the money to continue your work. It didn't actually say he was coming out here. No. Wait a minute. You mean, you really think I that... don't know, Alan... But I do know that if I hadn't called him, he wouldn't have started driving here in the storm. He wouldn't have had the accident and been killed. And I probably wouldn't have gotten the money. But, Father, if it's true, if it has some sort of supernatural power, then what about Professor Laborde? 
It did say he was coming. Oh, please, Barbara, I told you I don't know. Endicott was my friend. Now he's dead. And somehow I feel as if I... Father, the door. Yes. Yes, let's... Let's see who it is. Great Scott, Professor. If it is Laborde, do you realize what this means? Yes, Alan. If it is, are the things priceless, absolutely priceless? Why, I hope... I beg your pardon. I'm sorry to trouble you, but... Come in, Professor Laborde. Come in. We've been expecting you for some time now. An ancient manuscript which can foretell the future. A dead man and a visitor from the dead. As the clock strikes twelve for murder at Just a moment or two later, and Professor Laborde is being shown into Dr. Rudd's study. In here, Professor Laborde. Barbara, will you take the professor's things? Of course, Father. Thank you, my dear. You're very kind. But there's something I do not understand, Dr. Rudd. When you opened the door, you said you had been expecting me. Since early this afternoon. But that is impossible. Completely impossible. I'm here entirely by accident. I had no idea you lived here, or anywhere near here. I lost my way in the storm, uh, knocked at your particular door by chance to, to ask for directions. Nevertheless, we've been expecting you. But excuse me, how could you have been? Alan. Yes, sir? Show Professor Laborde the Kabbalah, will you please? Right, Professor. Here you are, sir. Kabbalah. Look at it, Professor. Tell me what you think of it. <laughs> Interesting. Very interesting. Of course, I cannot be sure without examining it thoroughly. But it appears to be even older than the black grimoire. And its form resembles that of the key of Solomon. Professor Laborde, it's my belief that it is the key of Solomon. What? But it can't be. It's been written about for centuries, of course, mentioned in hundreds of works from Trismegistus down... But there's never been any proof that it ever actually existed. And still, where did you get it? From an old Arab who came here last night and died here. The main thing is, we tested it. Tested it? Yes, we asked two questions. The answer to one of them prophesied your coming here. And the other, well, that came true, too. But this is beyond words... If it's true, then it's the most priceless discovery that has ever... Professor Rudd, may I try it? Use it to ask a question to... Well, I... I don't know, Professor Laborde, I... Please. For years now, ever since I began studying the supernatural, there's been something, one thing I've always said I'd give my very life to know. If it can tell me that, you must let me, Rudd. And... You must let me do it while I'm alone. 
Well, all right. Ah, good. Come on, Alan, Barbara. We'll wait outside. Is it now, Professor? It's 20 hours. Hmm. He's been at it for quite a while. Yes. If he doesn't call us in another minute or two, we'll go in. I'm probably being very silly, but I don't like this, any of it. Why not, Father? I don't know, but. What's that? It's Professor Laborde. Come on. Professor Laborde, what is it? What's happened? What? What are you doing? He's burning something in the fire. Father, it's his hands. He's holding them in the fire, burning. Great Scott, Professor Laborde, stop. Stop. Have you gone mad? Fire. Only fire can burn my hands clean again. I asked. Now I must pay. Laborde. Let me go. Let go. I am coming. I'll pay. Professor Laborde, come back. Quick, Alan. Okay. Which way did he go? That way. Down through the garden. The storm. It's so dark you can't see. Dr. Rudd. There. There at the bottom of the terrace. Professor Debord. Debord, why... Oh. oh, good Lord. Uh, what is it? He... Oh, he must have fallen down the steps. Broken his leg. He... He's dead. Gently. Yes, sir. Father, are you sure that... Yes, Barbara, I'm sure. He's dead. But what made him do it? Go running out there that way? It, it must have been something to do with the Kabbalah. He was going to ask it a question. Yes, Alan, it has something to do with the Kabbalah. And, and standing there with his hands in the fire, as if he were trying to burn them clean. Father, what was the question he asked? What answer did he get? I think... Perhaps I can guess. The old Arab, he warned us, remember? He said it was accursed, evil, that if we used it... Wait a minute, Dr. Rudd. Hmm? The board said he'd give his life to know the answer to that question, and now he's dead. Yes, Alan, that's what was in my mind, too. That and one more thing. Do you remember what I said just before you found the old Arab in the garden? That I'd make a pact with the devil, sell my very soul for the help I needed to finish my book? No, Father, you're not serious. You don't mean you really believe I've it. I've lived too long, my dear, seeing too many strange things to disbelieve anything. If the Kabbalah is everything we think it is, if it is the key to the future, to all knowledge, if it can answer any question we put to it, then there are only two sources from which it can draw its power. One good... And one evil. And and you think... If God had wished us to be able to foresee the future, we should be able to foresee it. On the other hand, if it's evil, well, there's usually a penalty involved. Laborde. He said something about paying, too. Who, who must be paid, and how? There's only one way to find out, through the Kabbalah itself. 
Give it to me, Alan. No, please, no. I'm sorry, Barbara, I must. There's no need for you to stay here. Or Alan. No, Father. We'll stay. Both of us. Very well. Then, here goes. Shivering, darling. Are, are you cold? Shall I build up the fire? No, Elna. I'm not cold. What was that? It sounded like the outside door opening. Maybe oh, I... I... Father. Uh, Father, what is it? Are you finished? Uh, yes. Yes, I'm finished. And... And what... Look. Here's the question. Who must be paid? And how? And here's the answer. Turn around, and you will see. Father, the door, the door behind us, it just opened. Yes. I don't dare turn around. You needn't. Right in front of you, there on the wall. Look. Something black, like a stain, a blot. But it's spreading, moving. Like an octopus. Or like... It's shadow. It's... It's coming toward us. What... What in heaven's name is it? Whatever it is, whatever happens to us, no one shall ever again be cursed as we've been cursed. The Kabara, give it to me. Father, what are you doing? What I should have done when I first saw it. Destroy it. Throw it into the fire. It's coming closer. Closer. Professor, isn't there anything we can do? Anything that... Father, look. The parchment burning. They are in the womb. The shadow of the Andions. In the shape of the crooks on Sata. The first cross. Good Lord. The shadow, it's wavering. Drawing back, retreating. I'm going to turn around, see what... No, wait. Wait until... All right. Now. There's... There's nothing there. The board? The board? Dr. LeBoard. Someone just came in. Who's there? Who is that? Oh, excuse me. I, I'm terribly sorry. I'm looking for someone. An old man with white hair and white beard. His name's... Holy smoke, there he is. Dr. LeBoard. Dr. LeBoard. I can't answer you. He's dead. Dead? Who are you, anyway? Well, an attendant at a private hospital in town. We've been taking care of him ever since he got to this country. Nervous breakdown. He disappeared this afternoon, and... He'd been talking about you so much lately that I had a hunch he might have come out here. Talking so about me? But he said he had no idea I lived here. Of course he knew. I told you he wasn't right in the head. That was one of the signs. Father, if it's true, if his mind was going, that would explain what he did. Burning his hands, running away like that. You mean the Kabbalah didn't have any occult power? What about the money from Endicott? Well, just a coincidence. And what just happened? That shadow we saw on the wall? Well, it was only a shadow. It could have been just our imagination. Yes, Barbara, it could have been. But somehow, I don't think it was. And 
officer stands next to the body of his friend, staring at the fireplace where the secret of the ages has gone up in smoke as the clock strikes twelve for murder at again when death whispers from the darkness in an unknown tongue and the clocks strike twelve for murder at midnight. The part of Dr. Rudd was played by James Van Dyke. With music by Bert Berman, Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M. Leader. Time Radio Hour broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week for another hour of macabre entertainment to conclude our Halloween adventure with more classic mystery and horror. Until then, this is your host, Justine Ward, saying so long for now. Mm-hmm.